Hello, and welcome to our Top of Mind podcast. In this program, we will sit down with a trailblazer in higher education, data management, and governance to discuss the role of the chief data officer. I'm your host, Caitlin Ilkani, and I'm joined today by Sam Cannon, the Associate Vice Provost for Data Governance and Chief Data Officer at the University of Rochester. Over the next few minutes, we are going to hear Sam discuss the overall role of the Chief Data Officer in higher ed. Let's get started. Welcome to the program, Sam. Thanks, Kaylin. It's so nice to be here. I appreciate the invitation. I'm really looking forward to this discussion today because data governance has been gaining increasing importance as we have this proliferation of data that we're creating all the time and trying to decide what to do with. So I'd love to hear in your own words, what is a chief data officer? Okay, so I, uh, I know that you probably heard this uh, this description for other positions, but I really do think of myself as sort of the chief cat herder. Um, to your point, uh, there's been so much data that is now available in higher ed and elsewhere and understanding where it is, how it's being used, how it's derived, how it's all connected and how people interact with it in a variety of situations is become more and more important, especially in the complicated and often decentralized institutions that are in higher education. And so my job really is to make sure that I understand all of the moving parts and figure out how to make connections across the different business processes and across the different technology silos so that everybody knows what the best way to use the data that we have or understand the data gaps um, that we might have in order to be able to move the university forward. So Sian, how does your role fit into the hierarchy of the institution? So I, that's a great question. Um, where a chief data officer should sit is one of those um, somewhat holy wars. Um, it's not wrong to put it anywhere, but within higher ed, it often doesn't fit in a lot of the places that you might have in the corporate world. In a lot of um, corporations, for example, a chief data officer might be in the reporting line for a chief risk officer mm -hmm. or even a chief operating officer. Um, but I, I'm in the office of the provost. Um, I report to the vice provost for research. Uh, I know other people who have my same role, even if they don't have the same title, are in information technology in the IT world and they are much more closely aligned with the technology pieces rather than the, the academic side of things. That's very interesting. So it's, it's a young role. There aren't that many chief data officers in higher ed and I'd love to hear how you got into this space. Um, okay, so this is where you get to have a bit of a pity party. I'm a failed economist. <laughs> um, so, so, and, and that's only half of a joke. Um, so my training and my background is, is economics and I have multiple degrees in it, much to my husband's consternation. Um, but one of the things that I've always um, 
been really interested in, in, in that area was working with data. I was never very good at the theory part. I really wanted to know how can I dig in and understand what to do with data and whatnot. And so that makes me a pretty good sort of data management, data governance person, but not a very good economist. And so I spent about 25 years working in the Federal Reserve System with economists and other people, but really on, just on the data side. How do I help them understand the data? How do I make sure they're following the rules around the data and, and, and whatnot? It got to a point where there was time for me to do something new and the University of Rochester had identified the need for somebody to sort of be the person who thinks about data things all the time and it created this role and I said, all right, um, I, I know what it looks like in the government. Let's see how I can take these talents and, and help higher education think about what it is to, to actually do data properly. And I'm sorry that on a podcast, people can't see my proliferation of air quotes, but hopefully <laughs> I will convey that wherever possible. You've been in this role for a little while now, a few years, and I'm curious about how your perspective has changed around, you know, why does a higher education institution need a chief data officer? So if the, I think the number one way it's changed in the two and a half years I've been in the role is I am now even more convinced that it's unbelievably necessary for higher ed institutions who do want to really get the most value out of the data that they have to have someone whose job it is to think about data all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's not to say that every university needs this. And I know that there's a lot of universities for whom it's just, it's not a logical choice. There are a lot of places where there's people who do think about data and they are charged with working with data or describing data or disseminating data. But when you have somebody whose job it is to do that full time, they're, they're able to help connect dots in places where somebody who only has a little bit of a data piece to their job um, can do. And so when I look across, um, Rochester is not a very big university, but it does have eight separate schools. So there's eight different deans mm -hmm. and eight different sets of programming and therefore potentially eight different admissions officers, registrar processes, um, student um, services. And so how all of the information about those different things fits together is not on anybody else's radar screen because they're looking and thinking about things locally. And my job is to think about them globally for the entire university. And the more that I talk to folks in other areas of higher ed and realize that this is not a Rochester phenomenon, that it really is very much endemic of higher education, that there is culture of academic freedom and um, the ability and the desire to really do the right thing for the mission of the universities, that doesn't always align with data governance the way that it is traditionally talked about in sort of the corporate world. I can see that, that the, the needs of higher ed are so unique. And there's, there are so many disparate stakeholders yep. that it can be very, very different than, than corporate America. And I'm curious about your perspective on you know, what size institution can really take on a chief data officer. You said Rochester is not so big, but you know, 
what are your thoughts about, you know, can any institution take on that role? I, I think they can. And I think that the, the number one thing that they need to do is to figure out how to position the role in whatever institute, whatever size institution is involved in order for them to get the most value out of that role. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be what people think of as a traditional C-suite. So, I mean, the, the title chief data officer works well in the corporate world if you're actually talking about somebody who is an equivalent or a partner to the CEO, the CIO, the CFO, the COO. Um, I think the function of being that sort of data and people connector, regardless of what the title is, can be done at different levels for different situations and universities of different sizes. Um, I know that when I did work in government, there were some government agencies that felt that a single chief data officer wasn't going to work well, and they had different CDO type roles in different sub agencies and they formed a council to do things. And I can see where that works for very big places, the same way that if you think about each of those individual ones, somebody might have that that need at a lower level and it might be a manager or a director, but the idea is, is that person is charged with actually doing all of the, the connecting and thinking through the data challenges without it being strictly focused on a specific business line, a specific process, or heaven forbid, a specific technology. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the technology piece because as you've been speaking, I've been, I've been thinking about, you know, the, the people and processes need to be in place first. And then hopefully people are thinking about technology last, right? But technology does play a a very important part now Mm -hmm. in helping institutions automate things and and get insight out of data much quick, more quickly. What are your thoughts on, on the role of technology? So this is actually one of the areas where um, people and organizations, I should say, that aren't really ready for a chief data officer can struggle, um, especially in places where the CIO feels that they own both the content and the platform. Mm -hmm. And I've known places, not necessarily in higher ed, but places, uh, other organizations where that struggle has really been painful. Um, But the idea for me is, and I know you've probably heard or some of the listeners have probably heard the combination or the comparison of what data are versus what technology are. One's the pipe and one's the water and, and all of that sort of thing. I like to think of it as a little more fundamentally that the data is the what and the technology is the how. And so I work very, very closely with the, the IT department um, at the university to talk about, I want to make sure that everybody understands what the data are, what the data can be used for, what the data mean, and I need them to help me figure out how to deliver it, how to display it, how they can use it. And that's where I think the real value is from the partnership is having somebody really concentrating on the what piece so that the IT folks can do what they do best, which is the how piece. That's a great point. And it sounds like a big part of your role are, is bringing stakeholders together and relationship management. And I'd love if you could share what a 
day in the life of a chief data officer looks like? What does a typical day for Sam look like? <laughs> so um, I, I would be lying if I said there was a typical day, but if I could pick something that was pretty common, it really would involve a lot of conversations. It involves um, a lot of Stakeholder management sounds so so harsh and so um, manipulative, but it's really the notion of building bridges and understanding the what people need and what it is that I, I can do or I can help them to do to be able to use data to get to what it is they need. And so there's a lot of conversations with a variety of different people across different schools, across different business processes, business lines, to say, all right, where are your struggles? Um, have you identified a data part to those struggles? Because often people don't realize that what they're really battling with is either a data problem or a lack of data problem. And I see data everywhere, even if it's not there. Um, and so having those conversations connecting people who have similar challenges that can learn from each other. Um, I know that especially in places where you've got a department or a school or a business line that is very, very inwardly focused, it may not occur to them that somebody else at the university might have a similar challenge mm -hmm. that they can partner with either from a technology or process perspective or a learning perspective. Um, and so I spend a lot of times in conference rooms when, when we were allowed to do that, um, <laughs> on Zoom calls now that we're not. Um, occasionally I do technical work where I will put together um, an example of something. Um, I realize that I see things in my head that normal people that don't think about data all day long don't see. And so I do spend a lot of time um, creating mock-ups or examples of what it is I'm talking about so that people aren't dealing with amorphous words where I talk about, you know, conceptual data models and attachment levels and metadata standards. And that makes people go, ah. And so yeah. I try and say, all right, here is a spreadsheet. Here is a Word document with some pictures on it. I'm not dumbing it down. I'm just translating it into words and language that people who don't live and breathe data can understand and can connect to what their problem is. I think that's very important because you take out maybe some of the jargon and, and when people don't feel dumb listening, right, they, they're able to listen to you when you kind of take that cognitive dissonance out of the equation. Mm -hmm. that's, that's when I know that I've actually done something right is when I see the light bulb go on and they're like, Oh, so that's, yes, that's what it is. And so that's really one of the bright points of a, of a day for me is to get people to see what it is that I see and to understand mm -hmm. the potential and then really be enthusiastic to try, try to work towards whatever it is we're, we're trying to accomplish. So I'm wondering if you have advice for someone who might be thinking about stepping into this role, what would some top pointers be? Interestingly, I, I just had this conversation with someone last week, so it's, it's fresh in my mind. Um, a couple things that I would want people to make sure that they understand, because you're going to have to explain it to everyone 
that you meet. And that is the whole notion that um, data governance isn't about being the data police. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are very reticent to engage with someone whose job is data governance because they think that's the that's they're going to be told you can't do that that it's all about risk reduction and compliance and things like that and, and that is a very important part of data governance but what I think that people don't realize and a chief data officer should be good at evangelizing is the opportunities um, that good data governance can bring, all the things that you can do with data if it's well understood, well documented, um, has you know, documented data quality, all of those things that you can't do if you don't have that. And so making sure that you've got that right mindset that it's that you can talk about the light side of the force and not just the dark side of the force, mm -hmm. I think is really important because there's a lot of people who think Data governance is data security, and therefore we need to stop people from doing things. And that's nothing could be farther from the truth. Data governance should enable you to do things securely that you couldn't do otherwise. Um, the other thing which feeds onto what I was just discussing is the fact that there's a lot of people who think that there's some activity that data, the chief data officers do and that the meetings get in the way of doing that work. And that is also not true. The meetings are that work. Mm. And so I actually had somebody ask me when they were trying to squeeze a 30 minute meeting into my very busy calendar, how do you get anything done if all you're doing is in meetings all day? That's my job is to have those conversations to, to make those connections. Um, if you don't like talking to people all the time, probably about the same topic, often with the same people about the same topic multiple times, <laughs> you are not gonna be happy in this job. Um, there's a saying that you, know, you can never over communicate about data governance, and that is so true. And so that would be the other thing that, that I would warn folks if if you get fed up with people who you have to explain for the 50th time, the same thing you've already explained, you're gonna be frustrated as all get out in this job because it's going, especially in higher ed, it's going to take a lot of education, a lot of communication because it's all about change management. Data governance always means that somebody has to change something. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to make the people that you're working with see the value in that change. Um, and if you don't have the right mindset to say, I want to take you along with me on this journey, you are going to be very, 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 very frustrated. It's interesting that you're tying in change management. I think that's a very important point because so many institutions struggle with change management and especially are the, these big shifts that require lots of stakeholders to get on board for mm -hmm. major changes to how they do their daily work. It's very uncomfortable. It, it is, it is. And, and even in places where at, at the University of Rochester, we've just really started to embrace formal change management and bringing change management practitioners in, mostly for big IT projects that involve a lot of staff having to learn how to engage with a new platform and things like that. But, but what that's done is it allows those principles to bleed over into 
other conversations. And so now we can have we can have broader conversations about is there awareness on this topic? You know, mm -hmm. do we, have we given people the right skills? Right? Do they have the information that they need? Because nothing is going to sink a data governance effort faster than the passive resistance that you get from somebody feeling like they weren't heard. And therefore, this is not my thing, um, especially since I'm new and there's a lot of very long-standing staff. Uh, I'm really worried about the number of people that are just going to outweigh me and say, this is another one of those higher ed things. They bring in a consultant or we do something new and yeah. shiny and then everybody loses interest. And so I'm just going to be quiet and it'll all go away. And it's not going to go away, even if it's not me in this role or this role it changes in some way the need for data and the need for data to be used effectively and efficiently to add value to what, um, to what institutions are trying to do, that's only gonna get, get more and more important. And so that's really where the change management piece is super important and why I drank so much coffee. <laughs> well, and I can see this becoming a competitive differentiator between institutions. The institutions that are able to do it well and those that aren't. And, and to be honest, I, I think that you're already starting to see that um, in the COVID-19 world, the universities that have already gotten in front of how to track things, how to measure things, how to be able to understand what information they have on the students, faculty, you know, university community that, um, that they need to have information and data on, it, that, that has already become very, very apparent. The places where you can't get information on how many tests are being conducted or things like that are probably the universities that really don't have a good understanding of their data infrastructure and their data flows. Um, and I think that th it's going to be very telling when, once we get to the other side of the pandemic to see where the dust settles. I agree with you. For those institutions that haven't made the investment in a chief data officer like the University of Rochester has and might be considering it or have employees that want to learn more about the role, maybe to petition internally to create one, are there resources that you recommend people consider reading or listening to? So are you asking me to plug the book I just wrote? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> um, so, so there are, and there are several very good um, books out there on, on data governance that include arguments for the chief data officer role. Um, there's there's a, the chief data officer playbook, I believe is one. There's non-invasive um, non data governance. There's <clears throat> the practitioner's guide to data governance, a case-based approach um, that I wrote with uh, my co-author, Ruma Gupta, that we basically have gone through and tried to be very concrete and hands-on about how to think about data governance. And there is a, there is a, a piece in there about do you need a chief data officer? What does that look like? Um, there's also a case study in there for higher ed, and it's one of the few that we were able to name. So um, colleagues of mine at the Rochester Institute of Technology, RIT, um, were kind enough to contribute the story of their data governance effort. They do not have a chief data officer. 
you can read about how they've, you know, how that has potentially affected the way that they move along. So um, that's that's something that people are maybe interested in. Um, I'm sure that there are other instances out there um, that there's plenty of data conferences, even though they're all virtual right now that, mm -hmm. that people can tap into. But um, yeah, it's uh, higher ed is not usually the focus of these things. Um, and that's going to be one of the things that I see changing in the not too distant future is uh, figuring out how to make that argument um, to do a better job with, with data and higher ed. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today on the Top of Mind podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm so glad we were able to talk about your book. Thank you. I, I wasn't sure whether or not that was okay to do, but if I, I got yeah. to sell my stuff, right? <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Congratulations. What a big accomplishment. Thank and you. Really, I've learned a lot from you today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That concludes this Top of Mind podcast. Join us next month for a new topic.